Well, you can join me in turning to your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark and chapter 4. So we're continuing our series in the Gospel of Mark, and we have been seeing that the Gospel of Mark is about the kingdom of God. So the story of the Bible tells the true story of the world we're living in, and it's a story about the kingdom of God. And so the kingdom of God can be understood this way. It's God's people in God's realm, enjoying His presence and reflecting His rule. That's how the Bible begins. Adam and Eve, humanity created. They're God's people in God's realm, enjoying His presence and reflecting His rule in their lives. That's the world as it was meant to be. And we blew it. Uh, Adam and Eve rejected God's rule, and we've been following suit ever since. All of us have been born with this heart condition that's oriented away from God and His rule, wanting to enthrone ourselves, and rather than worship God, worship ourselves or other things He's made. And so we've made a mess of this place. All the kingdoms of the world have failed, and we set up our own little kingdoms in our lives and our families and our relationships and marriages, and we make a mess of things. And so the Old Testament is God's unfolding story of His plan to bring His kingdom back into the world, to restore sanity to the world to restore his good reign to the world, his gentle and strong reign to the world, so that God's people can be back with him, enjoying his presence, reflecting his rule. And Jesus arrived, and he said, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. So, he announces the kingdom of God in his preaching. We've been seeing in these first chapters of the Gospel of Mark that he not only announces it in his teaching, uh, he shows his authority as the king in the way he teaches and the way he acts. And in what he does, he's demonstrating the power of the kingdom and also the presence of the kingdom. So he's not just doing miracles to prove he's God. He's actually demonstrating what the kingdom of God looks like when it comes. He gives people their lives back. People are healed from their diseases. They're forgiven of their sins, restored back to a right relationship with God. He's casting out demons, shoving back evil from the world. So he's showing what the kingdom of God looks like in action. But the kingdom, as Jesus brought it, was not what people expected it to be like. And so a lot of people had a lot of different expectations of what the kingdom of God would look like. They thought it would happen all at once, and not unreasonably. The Old Testament gives this impression that, that as you read certain texts, okay, the new creation's going to dawn, a king's going to come, sins will be forgiven, the kingdom dawns, everything's new. Um, and then Jesus comes, and he starts bringing the kingdom, showing the power of the kingdom, but he's not doing all of that all at once, and so people are confused. Some people had misunderstandings. They thought that he would just come and overthrow the Romans and the oppressive people of the time, set up a political kingdom at the time, and people were confused by him. They were confused by what he said. They were confused by what he did. They would be especially confused by his death. So Jesus announced the arrival of the kingdom, but people didn't get it. Some accepted him, some followed him, some rejected him, some wanted to kill him from very early on. Many people today still misunderstand the kingdom of God and what it is and what it means for it to come. Many Christians today misunderstand what the kingdom of God is and what it means for it to arrive. And so Jesus tells parables in order to explain the unexpected nature of the kingdom of God. These parables are short, vivid, 
illustrative stories, and he tells these to explain the surprising nature of the kingdom. As we saw last week, it's also to conceal it to those who don't have open hearts and minds. But for those who have ears to hear that he's given, he explains the surprising nature of the kingdom. And so that's what we're going to see in a series of parables this morning. So read with me God's Word in Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 21. And by the way, just amazing what's about to happen here. The Son of God, eternally existing, came to us, took on flesh, truly God, truly man. And then he spoke, and he spoke the words we're about to read. And then he sent the Holy Spirit to recall to mind his followers these words and so that they'd write them down exactly as he wanted them remembered. And then he preserved his word throughout the ages. And now we get to sit here in Zionsville, Indiana, 2021, open the Bible and hear the words of Jesus and hear him speak them afresh by the power of the Spirit to us right now. So let's read this together. He said to them, verse 21, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket, or under a bed, and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said, verse 26, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It's like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up. And becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for unfolding your plan of grace through history to restore your kind and gentle and strong reign in this world. And we thank you that you've invited us into the kingdom of Christ. And we pray that as we consider your word this morning, by the power of your spirit, you would give us ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. So the kingdom of God is God's redeeming and renewing reign over his people and all of creation even through his people and over all of creation. So the question everyone was asking is this. What would it look like when God comes to restore his kingdom? Almost everyone expected it to be all at once, but when Jesus announced that it arrived and started explaining himself, it didn't match expectations for many people. So Jesus teaches about the nature of the kingdom here with three parables. We have a lamp, a field, and a seed. These three parables show that Jesus' kingdom has, in fact, arrived, but in a surprising way. So first, the lamp. So Jesus gives this image of a lamp coming into a room, 
And he asked, how is this lamp supposed to be used? So at that time, it would have been this clay, oil-filled mini jar that was lit up like a flame. So when this comes into a room, how, how is a lamp supposed to be used? And the answer is obvious, right? You don't put a basket over it. You don't put it under a bed. You put a lamp out to give light. And Jesus is saying that's what the message of the kingdom of God is like. It came into the world in order to be made known. God's kingdom, the message of his kingdom, is here in order to spread. So this makes sense, actually, of what we see in Jesus' ministry and through the Gospel of Mark of this progression of the revelation of the message of the kingdom. So the message is hidden at first. We see Jesus telling people, be quiet, don't talk about this, don't tell people what you think about me. And he's slowly revealing things. And now he starts speaking these parables and taking his disciples privately to explain things to them. But pretty soon it'll get broader and broader, and then he dies and he rises, and then it goes completely public. So you can think of the message of the kingdom coming in like, like a dimmer switch, right? It starts low, and then he's saying, yeah, but a light comes in in order to come all the way on, in order to be revealed. That's the purpose. So as we saw last week, he's speaking in parables in order to explain the kingdom, but he only reveals the meaning to his inner circle, those who are open to him and following him uh, and come to him in, in private to receive this message. And he uses, last week we saw this image, this illustration of the message of the kingdom being like seed landing on different soils, which explains different heart conditions will respond to him differently. And so now he uses another illustration to speak about people receiving the message of the kingdom or not. And it's this illustration of grain being scooped and measured in the marketplace. So look at verse 24 and 25. He says, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. So he's talking here in context here about being open to his message and open to him. He's saying that if you don't open yourself up to him, then you won't get understanding. But if you do open yourself up to him, you'll increase in your understanding of the kingdom. And if you close yourself off, what you even have will be taken away. So this is like the parable of the soils from last week. The seed comes and it lands on a path. And what happens? Birds can come and take that seed right away. Um, but those who are, have good soil, the seed is received, it's accepted, and it begins to bear fruit. And so he's using a similar idea here to say, as my message is communicated, if you are open to me, if you have ears to hear, then you'll receive this and you'll increase in your understanding. You'll go deeper. But if you're closed off to me, even what you have is going to be taken away. You'll get harder and harder, more and more closed off. So I think this is similar to the phrase we use, um, use it or lose it. Ever learn a foreign language? Right? I learned Spanish once. <laughs> Don't have much anymore. Um, didn't use it, and it's gone. Now, I have Greek and Hebrew, and so to study the Bible, and very often I can see this at work. The more I use it, the more I'm able to use it. The less I use it, the more I wonder, if did I even learn this? Um, because you, it can fade um, with uh, non-use. So if you open yourself up to Jesus, if you don't just hear the gospel, but you apply it to your heart, if you don't just hear a sermon, but you leave and you think about it, you talk about it, you put it into action in your life. If you don't just read the Bible and close it in the morning, but you think about it, you reflect on it, you meditate on it, you respond in light of it. What James says, don't just be a hearer of the word, but a doer of the word. 
then as you do that, you will increase in your understanding of Jesus and his word and his kingdom. But if you close yourself off to him, if you hear and then forget, if you hear and then you don't do, you're actually going to become more dull of hearing. You're actually going to lose what you have. There's a principle here at work that's also shown in the book of Hebrews at the end of chapter 5. So the author's explaining some deep things to these Christians about the gospel and about the Bible, about Jesus. But he says that these Christians he's writing to have by and large become, as he says, dull of hearing. And so they're not opening themselves up anymore. They aren't putting things into practice. And the result of that isn't just disobedience. It's not just like, well, you're hearing things and you're disobeying. It's actually that they're having this decreased capacity to even understand. So here's what he says in the book of Hebrews. He says about this, he's talking about Jesus and some various topics. He says about this, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain. Well, why is it hard to explain? Not because it's so complex. He says this, since you have become hard of hear or dull of hearing, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone else to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he's a child. But solid food's for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained. How? How, how do you have your powers of discernment trained? How do you get an open mind and heart to understand more? By constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So hearing and responding increases your capacity to understand the deep things of the gospel. So here's the point. When we hear God's word, we are either becoming more open or more closed. You have never had a neutral experience with God's word in your entire life. Right now, nothing neutral is happening. You're either increasing in your capacity to understand his word or you're becoming dull of hearing. That's the first surprise of the kingdom. You increase in your understanding of the kingdom of God the more that you open the more open you are to Jesus. Not just open-minded, open-hearted, responsive. Second parable is the field. So Jesus compares the kingdom to scattering seed in a field. So a man scatters the seed, and then what happens? Well, he goes to bed, and then he wakes up. And he goes to bed, and then he wakes up. And then he goes to bed, and he wakes up. Now, of course, there's more involved in farming. Some of you know this. Uh, but Jesus is explaining it this way to make an emphasis here. The emphasis is on the fact that the kingdom of God is not coming with a bang, but it's going to grow subtly by the power of God. So let's read this now, verse 26. He said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. Now notice the emphasis. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself. First the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe at once, he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. So the emphasis is on how, the mystery of how the seed sprouts and grows and produces a harvest. The man just scatters the seed and goes to bed. So even all the hard work that a farmer does can, is really, uh, it's part of a process, but it doesn't make anything happen. It's mysterious. There's a power at work here. So Jesus is highlighting the fact that we do not make the kingdom grow. It just happens. So Jesus is saying that this is what the kingdom of God's like. You may look around and it doesn't look like the kingdom's growing. But God's kingdom grows according to God's timing. As the Apostle Paul put it, we plant and water 
and God gives the growth. So that was unexpected. People expected the kingdom to show up with a bang. They expected the Romans to be overthrown. They expected God to set up a political kingdom immediately. Some of the Jewish people expected to be part of this by force. But Jesus said, it's going to happen way more subtly than you're thinking. It'll happen as Jesus and his followers scatter seed, spread the message across the ground, and the message will cover the earth like seed, and then God in his own timing will make it grow. He'll bring people to faith. He'll see that churches are planted. So this gives us a picture then of our role and God's role in the process here, doesn't it? We plant the seeds. God gives the growth. We share the message of Jesus. God makes Christians. God actually causes the kingdom to grow by bringing people into it. So it's not then, on the one hand, that God does everything and we do nothing. That, that man still had the scatter seed, right? So we share the message. There's no passivity here. We can't say that since God's the one who grows the kingdom, therefore we don't need to do anything at all. No, we scatter the seed, and that takes work. And God gives the growth. But it's also, on the other hand, not the case that we do everything and God does nothing. That would lead to anxiety, as if this is all up to us to advance God's kingdom and make it grow all on our own strength. So the truth Jesus gives us is this. God is the one who grows his kingdom, but he uses you. He uses us. He honors us by including us in the process, by giving us this great privilege of participation in his kingdom, in the growth of his kingdom. So you matter to him. We matter to him. And he includes us. So let, let's not let this leave, lead to passivity or anxiety, but rather to this non-passive and non-anxious participation in growing the kingdom. This applies to every follower of Jesus. So every disciple of Jesus, every follower of Jesus is called to make disciples. So if you are a parent, you are called to make disciples of your children. We're called to make disciples of friends and neighbors. If you are engaged in past, present, or future in missionary work, you're called to make disciples of people across various cultures, pastors, mentors, ministry leaders. This is for you. So think of a relationship, just one right now, that you have with someone, and that's someone you want to see uh, come to know Jesus, come to be part of his kingdom. You may spend a lot of time sowing the seed and you don't see results and that's okay because you are called to be faithful to scatter the seed. God is the one who gives the growth and so there may be more going on underneath the soil than you can even see, right? That man scatters the seed and there were days where maybe it looked like nothing was happening but something was happening under the soil there with that seed. And so I think about a neighbor that Christine and I had um, in Naperville uh, named Dan. We befriended him. We'd have him over for meals. We'd spend a lot of time talking to him. A wonderful, wonderful guy. Became a, a fun neighbor and friend. And I eventually, we were, um, I don't remember what was the trigger, but I eventually thought, I need to take him out to dinner because I've not been crystal clear about Jesus with him yet. And just talk to him. What's his spiritual background? We had various topics around this, but needed to get the seed directly to him. So I took him out for dinner and asked him his spiritual background, talked about the message of Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection for our sins. And uh, he, it was really interesting. So he didn't respond to that necessarily positively. It was fairly neutral. Uh, but what he shared with me was actually really encouraging. 
because he said, you know, uh, when I lived in Florida, uh, I had some neighbors like you and Christina. They loved me. They were friends with me. And they told me the same stuff about Jesus that you did. And he was really just thankful for it. Just it's fine. Thought it was interesting. And I remember thinking, I'm part of a process. You know, it's not, it's not up to me in this moment. I'm going to be faithful to scatter seed. Those people before were faithful to scatter seed. They didn't see results. And neither they nor we know what's happened since. I've lost touch with him, but maybe there's been some more neighbors who have befriended him, and the Lord said, now. Now is time. And so we're faithful to scatter seed, and we pray and we trust the Lord for the results. And so as we send and support missionaries, we don't expect or need immediate fruitfulness. As you parent your children, you don't need to demand or expect immediate new hearts to be given. We may not see fruit for a long time, but God's in charge. And so we pray and we do what I, we can to expose people to the truth of the gospel. So the kingdom of God is like a field. The kingdom is here, but its work will sometimes look like it's underground. Very subtle, but moving powerfully nonetheless. And in the end, there will be a harvest. And Jesus is saying it's going to keep going, and then the time's going to come, and there'll be a harvest. And he's quoting from Old Testament prophets there about the harvest, the judgment to come in the end. So he's saying the judgment's not here yet. That's delayed because the kingdom's going to spread, and then there'll be a time when the harvest comes. Okay, so the lamp, the field, and then finally the seed. Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Now, from the perspective of someone's living in the first century world at that time, mustard seed would have been basically the smallest seed around. And so he's saying this is the smallest seed, hardly visible, and it's going to grow to become the largest tree in the garden. Like 10 feet tall or so, birds can take shade in it. So listen to what Jesus says in verse 30. With what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It's like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown in the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth, yet when it's sown... It grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. So what's his point? The kingdom of God will have a tiny beginning and it will grow very large. I can still remember when I first realized what this meant for understanding the kingdom of God. I had been taught that the kingdom was something that would only come entirely future, even future still to us now. And that was explained, it also explained for me why almost no one talked about it. Well, if it's just this future thing, then it's not really relevant to us right now. No one's really talking about the kingdom of God. It was absent from a lot of teaching I heard. I didn't think about it much. I didn't really know what it was about. But then a number of texts, including this one, clarified it for me. I can still remember I was sitting on like a pontoon boat by myself reading The Presence of the Future, a book by George Ladd, and he was talking about this parable. Um, and it just was illuminating to me as I was studying this text and a number of other texts and realized the kingdom is here now. Jesus did launch his kingdom into the world. And now, I mean, you've seen the first three chapters of Mark. That's what Mark is all about. It's about the launch of God's kingdom into the world now. But the secret, the unexpected part of this is that it started very small in a very unexpected non-impressive way. It has a small beginning, but it would have a global impact. And so we are living now in the time of growth as this little mustard seed grows to become a big tree. So now here's a side note. I, I want to mention that this does challenge a popular understanding 
of the kingdom of God. Some people have taught that when Jesus talks about the kingdom, he was offering the kingdom to Israel, but they rejected it, and so he postponed the coming of the kingdom for a time in the future and a thousand-year period. And so in between Jesus' first coming and second, the kingdom's not here. It's kind of a parenthesis waiting for the kingdom to come in the future. There's different versions of this thinking, and they usually fall under the umbrella of a term um, called dispensationalism. So aspects of this were popularized by left-behind novels. So it's important to know that what Jesus teaches about the kingdom uh, I'm convinced, is different than that. Um, Jesus is saying the kingdom has begun. It starts small, and it grows large, and we are participating in it right now. And so Jesus doesn't say that the kingdom will be only offered to Israel, and then it's delayed, and therefore it's not a part of our reality anymore. Instead, he's saying the kingdom was beginning in his ministry, but in an unexpected way. It was starting small. And so you picture it, Jesus, the only faithful one. And then he starts gathering people around him, these 12 disciples, marking this, this true Israel, 12 tribes starting again. And then true, the, the remnant of believers, these people who are going to follow him, start gathering around him. Very small. And then he dies, and everyone scatters. I mean, it's so unexpected. And then he's raised. And then there's 120 believers around Jerusalem, and he pours out his spirit, and then boom, it sprouts up over, above the ground and then starts growing uh, ever since. We see thousands coming to Christ in those early days and continuing around the globe still today. So the kingdom of God has begun, and it's important that we know that. It's important that we realize that when Jesus is talking about the kingdom, he's talking about reality we live in now the kingdom of God, by the way, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, sometimes Jesus uses these in different ways or in different times, and they're basically equivalent. They have a different sense. The kingdom of heaven, this place from where God rules and his reigns coming to earth, but kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, same thing. It's God's redeeming and renewing reign breaking into our world, and his kingdom spreads as people like you and me come under the grace and authority of Jesus, and we begin following him. And as more and more people do that and become transformed. So here's just a few summary ideas then about the kingdom that we see. First, the kingdom is already here. It has begun. Second, the kingdom starts with an incredibly small beginning. So unexpected. Third, the kingdom grows as the gospel spreads, as seed is scattered and takes root in soils, and God transforms people to trust and follow Jesus. And then fourth, the kingdom will grow from this small seed into a giant tree. So, this is what I mentioned uh, last week. There is an already and a not yet aspect to the kingdom. So, if you've not written that down somewhere yet, I encourage you to, if that's new, there's, the kingdom is already and not yet. It brings so much clarity to understanding what Jesus is talking about. When he talks about the kingdom, it is already here in part, but it is not yet fully here. And we'll, we'll be really confused if we think that the kingdom is totally here already, completely. And we'll be also really confused about things Jesus says if we think, nope, not here at all, that's totally future. We'll just totally misunderstand a lot of what he's saying. So it's already begun, and it'll come in its fullness when the world's renewed. So how do we respond to this? Well, look at the final verses here. 
show us the way forward. The first and main response is to be open to Jesus and his teaching, to be receptive to him. In verses 33 and 34, Mark reminds us again, the message is for those with ears to hear. So look at this. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. So that's not just a statement like, you know, until they got bored, you know, I'll talk as long as you're able to put up with me. No, this is this theme all through this chapter is do you have ears to hear? Are you not just hearing, but you're hearing deeper? Do you actually understand this? Are you open to this? So Jesus spoke these as they were able to hear it. He didn't speak to them without a parable, but then privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. So it's back to the idea of a lamp with measures. The measure you use will be given back to you. As you, as you increase in your openness to Jesus and his kingdom, you'll gain the understanding. So the question for us today is this. Are you, am I, right now, open to Jesus? Are you open to him? The risen, resurrected, reigning Christ right now. Is your mind and heart open? Or are you closed off and too busy with everything else? Are you open? Are you listening to his word? Do you expose yourself to his word? And when you hear it, are you open? Are you receptive to his voice? Do you spend time reflecting on his word and doing his word and putting it into practice? Are you receiving his forgiving grace? Or are you standing aloof thinking that what you have done is just too bad? He couldn't forgive you for those things. He can forgive other people, but not you. Or are you open to his grace? I mean, even being open to grace is a hard thing to do. I was reviewing some of Martin Luther's writings in light of his Reformation Sunday, and he just says over and over and over, believing the gospel, especially when you know your sin, is the hardest thing to do in the world. Not hyperbole, not overstatement. There's something psychological going on with the human heart and the fallen heart. To even receive his grace is impossible apart from his work. And so from here, this leads us to three quick additional implications. First, let's let Jesus shape our expectations about his kingdom. That's really what he's doing here. He's saying, would you get rid of your expectations and let me shape them? And then he tells these parables to help explain it. So let's not act then as if the kingdom is entirely future because it's already here. Because if we don't believe this, if we don't think the kingdom is here and is advancing, then our lives will take on a bit of a spiritual hopelessness. We'll look, we'll look around at the culture and throw up our hands and say, see, this age, I mean, until the kingdom comes, it's just all downhill. Um, people don't believe the gospel? Well, that's the way it is. I mean, what's going on these days? But if we realize his kingdom is here, it's spreading. The power of the gospel is spreading from nation to nation, to people group to people group, from home to home, into people's hearts and transforming them. And when it does it enough people in a culture, the culture's actually becoming transformed through the human hearts transformed by the gospel. Then we're thinking, oh Lord, bring revival. You can do this. You've done it before. Would you do it again? So don't lose hope. But if you think the kingdom is only already here and there's not yet a consummation coming, then you're going to be a little overly optimistic and then disillusioned because the truth is we're still living in a fallen world. It's here, but it's not yet fully here. And so let's not be overly discouraged when we share the gospel and 
nothing seems to be happening. And we're so discouraged about even the, the pace at which we're transformed or people we know are transformed. So really, rather than overly optimistic or pessimistic, the Bible gives us a vision of hopeful realism. We're realistic about the difficulties, but we're hopeful because the kingdom's here. Second, let's keep scattering seed like this farmer. That's what we're called to do. Scattering seed is very simply exposing people to the message of Jesus. It's introducing people to Jesus. So as part of that, we love people, we serve people, we bless people. But until you are actually saying, this is the message of Jesus, you have not yet gotten the seed launched and dropped onto that soil. And so it's scattering the seed of the gospel, the message of the kingdom. So encouraging someone to read the gospel of Mark, sharing about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, that he lived the perfect life we failed to live. He's died on the cross, this, this hell of a death that you and I deserve to die because of our sins. And then he rose from the dead, conquering death. He's the risen king, and he's spreading his kingdom now. He'll, he'll return to renew all things, but in the meantime, he's welcoming us in if we're open to him. We trust and follow him. That's spreading the seed. And so um, do that. Find ways to encourage people, love people, befriend them, and expose them to the gospel. And then finally, let's say, stay open to surprise. Since the kingdom is here, that means life is unpredictable. God can surprise us. He did in the 1500s with the Reformation. He's done it countless times before. Reformation Sunday, right? This is a day when we remember and celebrate what God did at the time of the Reformation. And the heart of the Reformation was the recovery of the seed of the gospel, right? It was just clearing everything away to say, that's the gospel, that we are received by grace alone, through faith alone, because of the death and resurrection and person of Christ alone. And so the gospel message had been clouded, it's been muddied. It was like the light hidden under a basket, a light put under a bed, and then the Reformation came along, and Martin Luther, John Calvin, and these others took the basket off, and the light shone, and God did that, and so he can do it again, and so here's how Martin Luther summarized the heart of the gospel. We are justified or accepted neither by the righteousness of the law nor by our own righteousness, but solely by faith in Christ. Works have nothing to do with this because we've already blown it. In fact, until we have a new heart, or even our attempts at good work, works can just be another self-salvation project and infusing our life with pride, building ourselves up to make us worthy. And the gospel clarity comes and says, no, the Lord loves you. He doesn't love you because you're lovely. His love makes you lovely. Receive it. And the reason why we can accept it by, be accepted by faith alone is because of the greatest surprise of the kingdom. And that's to come in Mark. And the, gospel, the disciples even right now don't have a clue. The king is going to die on a cross, this symbol of being cursed by God, according to the Old Testament. What in the world is up with that? Well, that's how the kingdom comes, because that's how he can welcome sinners in. And so he's welcoming us in because of his death and resurrection, gladly so. His, his kingdom's spreading. Anyone can get in on it. And so let's sow the seed of the gospel because the kingdom's here and the kingdom's spreading. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the message of the kingdom. Thank you for spreading it. We thank you that our gathering this morning is evidence 
of your reign in Christ over this world. And so we thank you for being with us in this time. Our hope is that you have been answering our prayers through this time to give us ears to hear and transform us. And so we pray that you would surprise us even this week with your power to cause the seed of the gospel to take root in people's hearts. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.